Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. The epistle reading today is from Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. Love should be shown without pretending. Hate evil and hold on to what is good. Love each other like the members of your family. Be the best at showing honor to each other. Don't hesitate to be enthusiastic. Be on fire in the spirit as you serve the Lord. Be happy in your hope. Stand your ground when you're in trouble and devote yourselves to prayer. Contribute to the needs of God's people and welcome strangers into your home. Bless people who harass you. Bless and don't curse them. Be happy with those who are happy and cry with those who are crying. Consider everyone as equal and don't think that you're better than anyone else. Instead, associate with people who have no status. Don't think that you're so smart. Don't pay back anyone for their evil actions with evil actions, but show respect for what everyone else believes is good. If possible, to the best of your ability, live at peace with all people. Don't try to get revenge for yourselves, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. It is written, revenge belongs to me. I will pay it back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. By doing this, you will pile burning coals of fire upon his head. Don't be defeated by evil, but defeat evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Our Old Testament reading, though, comes from the prophet Jeremiah, the 15th chapter, verses 15 to 21. O Lord, you know, remember me and visit me and bring down retribution for me on my persecutors. In your forbearance, do not take me away. Know that on your account, I suffer insult. Your words were formed and I ate them and your words became a joy and the delight of my heart for I am called by your name, O Lord. I did not sit in the company of merrymakers nor did I rejoice Under the weight of your hand, I sat alone, for you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Truly, you are like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail. Thus says the Lord, if you turn back, I will take you back, and you shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall serve as my mouth. It is they who will turn to you, not you who will turn to them. And I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you, for I am with you to save you and deliver you, says the Lord. I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked. I will redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. This is the word of the Lord. 
There's no crying in baseball, Tom Hanks said in A League of Their Own. Maybe not, but there is lying in baseball, Pete Rose. He finally admitted in 2004 that he bet on his beloved Cincinnati Reds years after his six-month stint in the clink for tax evasion and after a trail of relationship failures, Rose used his memoir to offer an incomplete and self-serving admission, timed to try for reinstatement to the game. For all his extraordinary skill at America's game, Rose's nickname is Charlie Hustle for a reason. He lacks the other critical element to great sportsmanship, integrity. So too did one of my idols, Lance Armstrong, whose epic downfall and stripping of seven Tour de France titles was a blow to his fans. People not shocked by his almost inhuman endurance, which turned out was being assisted by doping, but saddened by his lack of moral strength and commitment to truth over years of denials. No Profile in Courage award went to Edward Kennedy after the incident at Chappaquiddick and the death of his young passenger, nor to Senator John Edwards, who consistently denied he was having an affair against his cancer-stricken wife, fathering a child with his videographer. Call to mind the most memorable liars in their lives, in politics, sports, and on television. Elliot Spitzer, Tiger Woods, Bill Clinton and the Berade intern, Gary Hart and monkey business, the Iran-Contra affair, Bernie Madoff, Walter White on Breaking Bad, Sidney Bristow on Alias, Dexter Morgan. We remember the stories of people in our community caught in lies. Traditionally, we don't like being lied to, and we're fairly suspicious, which gives rise to the conspiracy theorist movement. Folks still sure the CIA killed JFK and the moon landing was a hoax. Snopes.com helps us uncover phony stories. We easily label Alex Jones as a total fraud. When Stephen Colbert called out the truthiness in our culture, we found reason to laugh. We laugh in part because we are guilty too, aware of our own capacity for deceit. Lying is a part of life, and we all do it. Nietzsche wrote, we need lies in order to live. Lying is a necessity of life. That itself is a part of the terrifying and problematic character of existence. We live in a world of lies, from black and white to gray, from shadowy to dramatic, some so subtle. I've never loved a necktie more. No, officer, I don't know why you pulled me over. And of course, honey, I want to hear everything about your day. Just north of the campus of Ohio State University is a bar called The Library. When mom calls to ask her young Buckeye where he is on a Tuesday evening, Junior can answer with a factual answer and a reasonable deception, I'm at the library, mom. <laughs> the author Sam Harris writes in his powerful little book, Lying, about lies that we call redeemable. People masquerading as patients for researchers, measuring the extent of racial and sexual bias with doctors. Professors exaggerating their students' excellence on recommendations to give them a better chance in a tight jo job market. That would not be required at the University of Michigan. 
pastors helping people through tragedy by projecting a faith undeterred by doubt. In her deep dive into the phenomenon of lying, Cicela Bach illuminates some nuanced types of lying, like confabulation, fabricating things to make up when we've had a loss of memory, and duping delight, the kind of lying I recently engaged in when I lured a friend to her surprise birthday party. But few lies are delightful. The more we accept them, the more jaded we become. The euphemism for lie is falsehood, which doesn't presume the intent to deceive, but leaves the possibility open that a person may be misinformed or mistaken. Manufacturing questionable stories is a form of lying, so is plagiarism. Lies require upkeep. The quip goes, the first lie must be patched with another, or it will rain through. Lies bind, betray, and hold captive our energy to be ourselves, to love, to be loved. We are at a particular time in our nation when lies are accepted as alternative facts and for some indistinguishable from truth. Lies, some carrying great weight, are spoken from podiums and put in print and online every day. Lies permanently alter our culture and may, as in the denial of global warming or the discarding of the science around climate change, lead to unalterable outcomes. The spin doctors are not a band, they are a vocation. Facts may or may not matter, they rarely change our opinions. Our words and style of communicating permit a wide gray area where truth and transparency are often sorely lacking. We all understand that our president does not speak in plain, unadulterated truth, nor does he pass along uncomfortable facts. And we will pay for that, as will our kids. In a recent New York Times op-ed, Roger Cohen reflected on that recent report that the president had said he had two phone calls, one from the head of the Boy Scouts and one from the president of Mexico, and both were admitted to be pure inventions on his part, or perhaps a colleague's part. His spokesperson simply said, I wouldn't say it was a lie. What does equivocation and shading the truth teach our children? The seeds planted in our kids are those of the dreaded bearded Darnell that Jay taught us about in his sermon recently, those weeds that will grow huge and choke a love and expectation of truth and clarity for generations to come. Kids learn that liars reap rewards while those lied to pay the penalty of the perjury. Does our faith have anything to say to this? People of faith are not immune to participation in accepting, repeating, creating lies. Lies that seep into the substance of culture certainly seep into our creeds. The Catholic Church has obviously been indicted, but Protestants and evangelicals are just as guilty. There is a higher standard for Christian people, yet we are just as vulnerable as the next guy. The Bible is clear. Thou shalt not lie. Yet we collude with lies as easily as people with no faith and no Christian community to support them. We who proclaim Jesus as Lord have allowed that proclamation to be scarred by the acceptance of lies, to tolerate the obfuscation of the truth and the tacit approval of fibs when it suits us. Sure, 
At least we believe, we believers calculate the costs and benefits of a lie before we utter it, a calculation informed by our faith and values, our scriptures and our creeds. But still, such hypocrisy is damaging. Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth? And now Jesus says those same words to us. How are people of faith to navigate in this cultural milieu? Are we to embrace these shades of gray? Jesus is the word, truth incarnate, and to follow him is to pursue truth, not only in the inward being, as the psalmist says in Psalm 51, but in our outward lives and interactions, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, to live for Christ is to love without pretending. It is in both telling the truth and in living God's truth that we defeat evil with good rather than evil Good good defeats evil. We are saved people. We reflect that salvation in our inward and outward lives. To live honestly is to be the light of the world which casts out darkness. But it is not easy. Our own darkness persists. The ones we lie to the most are ourselves. Lies that reveal our faith in a God we hardly know. God accepts us fully for who we are, loves us unconditionally, and desires that we serve God as we are. God knows that we're broken and does not look for perfection, only courage to admit our mistakes, to learn, to forgive, to keep getting better, to do what we can when we mess up and make things right. Authentically, transparently, warts and all, out loud and proud, not as a projection of you, be you. If God knows our truth and still accepts us, surely we can. Father Zosima in The Brothers Karamazov explains, Above all, don't lie to yourself. The man who lies to himself and listens to his own lie comes to such a pass that he cannot distinguish the truth from within or around him and so loses all respect for himself and for others. And having no respect, he ceases to love. Love without pretending, Paul said. Individually we seek that, and together we live that as a family of faith, overcoming evil by living good, true, authentic lives centered on justice, mercy, and humility. The prophet Jeremiah was brutally honest with the people around him and with God. Long before Jesus, this depressed and abused prophet taught us the power of lament, truth-telling to God. Weary with the world, Jeremiah said so, tired of his job as a spokesperson for God to people who did not want to hear it and sick of doing it, he tells the truth anyway. Furious with God, Jeremiah speaks it, hated in his hometown, rejected by his family, repudiated by religious leaders, shunned at the temple, named a traitor, forced into hiding, arrested, and beaten. No wonder he was called the weeping prophet. He weeps, he pleads, why me? He puts it all out there, laments, questions, confesses, and then he receives God's response to all of it. Honesty begets honesty, and that is what God gives him right back. God gives it. God is not offended by Jeremiah's honesty. God is not hurt or threatened by his tone and does not view his criticism as insubordination or disrespect. 
God is secure and truthful, honest, and neither explaining nor clarifying nor comforting. He ushers a conditional summons of repentance. Stop complaining. Get out of bed and go back to work. That's what you need to be saved. The honesty of their interaction is stunning. Friends, we begin and end in God. We belong to the one who desires our full honesty, but also our trust that she will return the same. Jesus said when teaching his disciples, if it were not so, would I have told you? Our relationship with the divine is meant to be one defined by truth. And if our human relationships are made in that same image, we strive for truth in each and every relationship in the world around us. The weight of God's words of Jeremiah cut into our culture. To be my spokesperson, he says, to be my faithful follower is to utter what is worthwhile, not what is worthless, to say what is precious, not what is pointless. A biblical paraphrase says it this way, use words truly and well, then you'll speak for me. Let your words change them. Don't change your words to suit them. In the words spoken to Jeremiah, God calls us, you and me, the church together, to utter precious and worthwhile words, true words, words not willing to pander to public opinion, words confident in God's protection, words that stand up for criticism and stand up to it because they stand for what is right. To Jeremiah, God says with these words, I will make you a wall to this people. God, who is truth, will make the prophet a wall of truth, one that solidifies God's love and care for all God's broken people, not a wall of hate that would turn away those who are seeking God's love and compassion. Telling the truth, expecting the truth, hearing the truth is hard, and it will always be far from easy or obvious. It is precisely because it is hard that it is precious. Friends, I am no better at this than you are. It is as easy for us pastors to lie and fudge the truth as it is for you. I've looked at my caller ID plenty of times and decided I was not available. (laughs) I live with two teenage boys whose cell phone tracking device confirms or denies their honesty with me. I support political candidates, and I bet you have too, that I knew told lies, but justified it as a cost of pursuing a higher goal for this nation. We shade the truth for our parents, our kids, our siblings, our colleagues, sorry friends, (laughs) just as easily as you do. At what point do we have the courage to change? Christians have a very high calling to name fake news, phony leads, spun stories, alternative facts, to name them as lies and to seek honesty is not to be unfaithful to the leaders or the media outlets we support. It is to expect the best from them and to call them to a better way. It is to take on the mantle of Jeremiah and call people out. It is to follow Jesus who said, you are my disciples if you are faithful to this teaching and then you'll know the truth and that truth will set you free. To have the courage to face the lies we tell ourselves and call out lying in the world, it will have consequences. And the main consequence will be an invitation to start walking on the path of abundant life 
Such discipleship can only happen with God's help, who loves us no matter what we see when we look inside. Jesus said, I am the truth. Paul said, love without pretending. This table behind me, this is that place where we encounter the crossroads of the Lord's authentic love for us and our choice to serve him as well as we can. It is not a table of lying. It is a table of dying. Here we discover God's true love for us, a love revealed fully when we pass from this table to that great feast in the life to come. Are you confident that God loves and protects you as you seek truth in the inward being? What keeps you from being honest with yourself and others? What keeps you from speaking your truth? Let the church ask itself these same questions. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We praise you, most holy God, for sending your Son, Jesus the Christ, to live among us, to teach us of your love and patience, to heal the sick, to be a friend to sinners. Obeying you, he bore the cross and died that we might live. We praise you that he overcame death and is risen to reign in glory with you. He is present when the waters rise. He calls to us to help our brothers and sisters in need. He hears our prayers for the needy around the world and particularly at this time for those on our own Gulf Coast. You are ever present to us and with us. We thank you, loving God. Remembering all of your mighty and merciful acts, we break bread and share one cup, giving thanks for your saving love in Jesus Christ. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. Pour out your Spirit upon these gifts of bread and wine. Make them for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. Send us out in that spirit to live in peace for others as Christ lived for us. By your spirit, draw us together into one body. Join us to Christ that we may be his glad and faithful people until we feast with him in glory. Through Christ, with Christ, in Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor are yours, almighty God, now and forever. Hear us as we join our voices in the prayer our Lord Jesus Christ taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.